why you should pay super close attention to the Super Bowl safeties. How guys like Shadobi Awuzie and Leonard Floyd could be as important as anyone. And the fine line between making the nerds and the jocks angry. What am I talking about? Keep listening. Lots of Super Bowl talk ahead. Hi, and welcome to the Super Bowl edition of Off the Charts. I'm Mark Simon, joined by SIS VP of Football, Matt Manicharian, and our elite football rep from RMD, Alex Figerman. Hi, guys. Hey, what's going on, Mark? Hey, Mark. Let's talk Super Bowl. So very simply, 30,000-foot view here. If you could tell someone the most important thing to watch in this game, what would it be? For me, it would be how the Rams defend Cincinnati's weapons in the passing game. We know that the Bengals are going to want to get the ball out quickly because the biggest mismatch in this game is the Bengals' offensive line against the Rams' defensive front. We kind of already know how that's going to play out to some extent. The Rams are going to have to account for the fact that the Bengals are just much more evenly distributed talent-wise at receiver with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd than the Rams themselves are in the defensive backfield. If we take one look at this using points above average, which is the sort of the guts of our total points calculation that evaluates each player relative to the average, Jalen Ramsey this year has been 24 points above average, and the rest of the secondary has been 30 points below average. Stephen Palachuk wrote a couple of weeks ago for, for Sharp Football about how Jamar Chase has really opened things up for Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins in the intermediate area. So how can those non-Jalen Ramsey players on the back end for the Rams hold up in those first few seconds in those intermediate routes? I think you hit the nail on the head there, Alex. I think we're going to keep, first of all, we're going to keep coming back to the Bengals offensive line against the Rams front being a mismatch and how that and how that kind of dictates a whole bunch of different things in this game. Not even when the Bengals have the ball necessarily, it'll dictate some things. You hit the nail on the head there. And what I'm going to be looking at, and it, and it goes to what you're saying when you talk about the Rams and how they're going to cover the Bengals, is, is both teams and how they deploy their safeties. I think that both these teams want to play light boxes. We've seen it throughout them throughout the whole year. We've seen that they're built you know, similarly to one another in that sense. And so both of these teams are going to be trying to get the opponent out of those light boxes so that they can get one-on-ones to their super bo- their superstar receivers, whether it be Cooper Cup or Jamar Chase. So the thing I'm looking at is the safety alignment. If, if, if one team can force the other one to bring a safety down, then all of a sudden I think it'll open things up over the top. Watch the safeties. That's certainly the key point here. And just to reiterate that stat that Alex brought up earlier, Jalen Ramsey, really good. Rest of the secondary. Not so much. Let's explore some things from the Bengals' perspective. Do the Bengals have any advantages besides that one that they can exploit in this game? Yeah, so going back to these teams being built similarly, right? Sean McVay and Zach Taylor come from the same coaching tree. They're both going to be very outside zone heavy teams, right? They're going to run zone blocking plays off tackle and trying to get their play action game kind of married off of that in order to, to control things. If game script allows, right, if the Rams can't get a big lead and the Bengals can stay kind of slowing the game down a little bit, I think Joe Mixon is a potential advantage for the Bengals. He's just a better running back than anybody that the Rams have. So if they really want to get Chase going the way that I was saying before, get them out of the light box, I think Joe Mixon could be the tool that is a Bengals advantage when you look at both of these rosters side by side. And you mentioned that both teams run a lot of outside zone. The Bengals actually ran stretch zone 
about as much as anybody this year. And while they weren't super successful with it, they will be running away from the teeth of the Rams defense in terms of in the run game. The Rams are in the top five in EPA per attempt allowed and top 10 in positive play percentage allowed defending inside runs. And they're more middle of the pack against runs outside the tackles. Just because things can be done in a million different languages, just to go into the way we classify stretch zone versus an outside zone versus inside zone. We're just talking about the aiming point. Basically, if the aiming point's between the guards, we're calling that inside zone. If the aiming point's off tackle, we're calling that outside zone. And if the aiming point is outside, then we would call that a stretch zone. So it's not about where the running back ends up going. It's about the design of the play. And that's how we classify things. I know it's football, so you can call the same play 99 different things with 99 different coaches. Just to clarify that there. So just to go back to Mixon for one second, let's say he has a five-yard run, a 20-yard run, 10-yard run, and it's clear that he's establishing himself. What changes that maybe gives, is it a matter of Chase just getting one step on a guy that he's not going to be able to get otherwise, or or what's going to happen that will make things easier for the Bengals passing game to develop? When we talk about the, the safeties and kind of the shell, when you can keep two safeties deep, that allows you to really play almost like you're double teaming Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, whoever the outside receivers are. Because you have that help over the top, all of a sudden the under, underneath defenders, whether you're playing man or whether you're playing zone, they just don't have as much space that they have to account for. So that's the difference that we're talking about. I, you know, we got to be really careful when we start to say things like, well, you know, they established the run and, and all that kind of stuff. But what we're trying to get at when we talk about this is that you can alter the shape of the defense. And when you alter the shape of the defense, then that can create different opportunities for you. So I think that would be the benefit of if they can get Mixon going. It wouldn't be because I think they're going to gain more yards with Joe Mixon than the Rams offense can gain by throwing the ball. It's because they can force the defense to play sort of left-handed, if you will. Here's the the question then related to Mixon. Is the Bengals' offensive line good enough for it to help them get what it needs in the running game to open up the passing game? Good enough is a loaded question, I suppose. But when you say it that way, it sort of makes me think about those chunk runs on first down that keep the offense ahead of schedule and, and open up the playbook on second and third down. The Bengals have generally had more success running on first down than later in the series. So that is something that I think is an option for them. Taking it statistically on second to fourth down runs, the running back was hit at or behind the line of scrimmage nearly half the time, most in the league. And they were stuffed for no gain 21% of the time, which is eighth most in the league. So it's it's definitely something that they should at least consider running a little bit more on, on first down. And what we can say for them is that they run on second and 10 a lot less than most teams. So against this Rams pass rush, you want to do what you can to avoid third and longs. And so it's good to avoid those second and 10 runs. Yeah, I mean, Mark, generally speaking, the answer is no. The offensive line's not good enough. That's not going to be the unit that is the reason why the, the Bengals win this game. It's a bottom half of the league offensive line, but they're worse in pass protection. And I think they're more overmatched in pass protection this game than they are in the run game. And that's a part of why I think that they're underdogs but it's also something to keep in mind that that running is just easier than passing, right? If you ask any offensive lineman what they'd rather do, run block or pass block, they're going to want to run block. The other thing that's easier than than pass blocking is getting the ball out quickly. If you run a lot of these short drops like the Bengals do, you can help offset things that way. So I don't know exactly what the formula is going to be. I can tell you if they come and try to run a lot of seven-step drops, I think they're going to have a really long day. But whether it's trying to offset the pass rush by running the ball a little bit more 
even if you are a little bit overmatched in terms of the, the upfront mat, matchup there, you're less overmatched than you would be by trying to pass the ball. And then the quick dropbacks, I think, I think fits into it. And, you know, I could see them saying YOLO and throwing it 60 times. I don't, like I said, it'll be a lot of quick drops if they, if they end up doing that. But if I'm them, I'm trying to, if game script allows, try to run the ball, try to shorten the game a little bit, try to make things a little bit more random overall by shortening the game a little bit. And then watching the safeties, which I think is exactly where Zach Taylor is looking. And when they start to drop down, that's where you'll see Jamar Chase get his shots. So do you think, I, I, so I guess it's similar to, to Mark's question, like, let's say that there is some amount of, of success, even if it's not worrying too much about the running game, but it's, if it's just a lot of quick throws and, and a lot of short stuff. And, and maybe the, the safety starts, you know, creeping in a little bit. Realistically, within a, a game plan in a given game, when does that happen? Like, when do you start adjusting? When do you start adjust? I'm not sure I'm understanding like, your question. So like when, when does the, the defensive coaching staff start to recognize that something's that they need to make an adjustment there? When Is you start something- bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. When you start bleeding, then all of a sudden you try to get some gauze on that, on that right away. So if, if, if you start getting gashed, it, it could take three, you know, chunk runs. And all of a sudden we're saying, damn it, we can't get run over by this team. We got to bring that safety down. That might be an impatient sort of attitude towards things. I think right. these teams are both more patient towards that sort of thing. They'll say, no, we'll take that. We, we signed up for that, but we're going to defend against the deep pass. So it's a chicken and egg thing, but I don't think it ever stops or starts. I think you get into your first 15 to try to see how the other team is playing things in their game plan. And then as soon as you start to get a sense of that, then the game theory starts and it's the adjustments and the counter adjustments. And that's why this game's so fun. If Burrow has to be forced into seven step drops and, and deep drop backs, is he liable to wind up looking like Pat, Patrick Mahomes did in last year's Super Bowl? I think that's the goal if you're the Rams, sure. I think that's that's absolutely the goal is is to or looking like Patrick Mahomes in, in last week's game, even just just hanging back there with the ball in his hands. Now, that hasn't been Joe Burrow this year, but that Mahomes who we saw in the second half of the AFC championship game wasn't the Mahomes that we're used to either. Now, you mentioned uh, Burrow is someone that you can win a Super Bowl with, but not win a Super Bowl because of. Heard you say that in a couple of different places. What's the missing piece that would lift him into win because of territory? His accuracy is absolutely amazing. That's the part of win because of that's kind of already in his tool belt. You see it through the numbers, really shines through how accurate he is, his on-target rate, all that kind of stuff. And I don't necessarily fault him for the sacks that, that he takes with the Bengals. I think it's a, kind of a product of how they're built. And he actually does a really good job of avoiding getting more sacks and playing with limited protection with, with five receivers out into the routes. There were a couple of dropped interceptions in the AFC Championship game that if we take a look at and we say, okay, you catch one or both of those interceptions, there's a hugely different narrative on Joe Burrow right now, right? Like I feel like if you ask football people, if you just ask 100 people right now, they're putting Joe Burrow ahead of Justin Herbert. And I'm thinking, mm, if somebody catches the ball a couple of weeks ago, we maybe would be having a totally different conversation. So Stafford, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that happens all over the league. It's that they're not, you know, they're, they're all different things like that. But there's a degree of luck that it takes, in addition to being good, that you, to get into the Super Bowl. I think every once in a while, the reason I mentioned those drop interceptions is because you see inconsistent arm talent show up. And arm talent's a weird kind of amorphous term that, that takes a lot of different things. But what I mean when I say that is really an ability to consistently drive the ball, to consistently have the same zip on all of your throws, regardless of if, if you're on the move or if you have to really rear back and, and make a deep out type throw. 
You see the ability sometimes to make those throws from him. It's not like he's somebody that lacks arm strength, but there's some inconsistency that comes along with that. So I think for any quarterback to be a win because of quarterback without elite arm talent, you have to be Drew Brees-like in your precision. And he's trending towards that. He had a Drew Brees-like year this year in terms of his accuracy, but I'm not quite ready to crown him quite yet until we see that. You know, it took a few years of Drew Brees, Brees establishing himself like that before we were really ready to put him into that win because of range. And I think, you know, jury's still out a little bit on Joe Burrow and what his what his ceiling could be. To put a point on what you were saying in terms of his accuracy and put some numbers on it, he led the NFL in on-target percentage on passes 20 yards downfield, led the NFL on intermediate throws in terms of on-target percentage. He was merely third best in terms of on-target percentage on short throws. So accurate all over the field. It is to some extent a little bit hard to separate him from what he now has in terms of elite skill position players. And he had that at LSU, I suppose, too. Taking too many sacks and that sort of thing. Obviously, we acknowledge the the offensive line problems, but he still is taking a little bit more sacks than you'd expect. And he's also been sort of average when he's been throwing off platform, which to his and the offensive's credit doesn't really happen that often. They get the ball out quickly, keep him clean when, when they can. 30 of 40, three touchdowns, 350 yards on Sunday. Maybe we can put him in the win because of category, but as you said, not quite there yet. Going from quarterback to coach, is there an area in which Bengals coach Zach Taylor is particularly smart? Yeah, he drafted Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. <laughs> I say that look, makes him look pretty smart right now, huh? That's for, all right. Is, is there anything else like X and O or tactics wise, or is this a fairly like coaching wise? Is this a fairly, it's a wash as far as the staffs go? I wouldn't say that. I think that they're trained in similar sort of methodologies, but I would say that Sean McVay has a bit of an advantage having been a head coach longer, having been in a Super Bowl before. I think we have a little bit more confidence in him overall than in Zach Taylor. That said, what does Zach Taylor do well? I mentioned drafting those guys, but I also think he's done a really nice job of of forming a system that matches Joe Burrow's skill set. I think that embracing that Joe Burrow likes to have many receivers out in routes as possible and fitting the team around him. And, you know, even going back to the Jamar Chase versus Penny Sewell debate, the way that that sort of understanding your own personnel can help inform that decision-making. I think he's done a great job. I, I, I would say McVay, advantage McVay in terms of coaching staffs, but it's hard to, it's hard to argue with what the Bengals have done this year. The Rams are the favorites in this game and, and they seem to be widely liked across the country. If the Rams are going to overpower the Bengals in this game, how do they do that? So I'm not sure what you mean by overpower. They can overpower them in terms of star power, I think. I think that's how this team's been built. You know, they said, forget about first round draft picks, top players all over the field. I think you said it was seven players in the top five total points in their positions on a tweet the other day. Is that right? There's seven of the eight players who ranked in the top five of their position who are in this game are on the Rams. So it's it's a lot of star power at the top there. Donald Cup, Ramsey, Whitworth, Edwards, Floyd, and Gay. That doesn't even include Matthew Stafford. Those are the seven. Right. And what Stafford's right at number six with whereas Burroughs number seven on our on our list, something like that. Yep. So pretty close in terms of that. But in terms of all the other dudes, the Rams have a lot of dudes that can that can take over a game and kind of be some of the best players in the league at their own positions. If by literally overpower, you want to say, how can they overpower the Bengals? It would be through Aaron Donald. The Bengals' interior offensive line is no match for him. They've even been rotating some players inside there. So it's really been an unsettled position for them. And Aaron Donald's better at his position than any player is at their position in the NFL. And he's an absolute menace in both phases. So in terms of literally overpower, 
pound for pound, strongest dude in the NFL, I'd say. It is worth mentioning, you, you said his ability to, to affect both phases. This year, more than the last two years, obviously he was number one in total points among defensive tackles every year we've had total points. But this year in particular, compared to the last two, has been re- a really impact player in terms of the run game. 20 points in terms of run defense total points compared to 10 or so at the, last, the previous two years. So really has, has been a standout performer uh, in the middle of their run defense. No metrics available on this, but I know that in doing photo searches for Aaron Donald, I don't know that I've seen a defensive player for, more, for whom there are more pictures that I would describe as overpowering the uh, opposition. There are certainly a large number of those. Is there anything about the Rams that would concern you going into this game? Matt talked about the coaching matchup here. We love questioning coaching decisions around fourth downs and all that. The Rams present an interesting opportunity to do a little bit of that questioning. They've been more field goal heavy than we'd recommend when you get in close and and you might want to be a little bit more aggressive. And when they've been outside of field goal range or, or sort of on the edge there, they've foregone punts for conversion attempts more than the typical team. So they might end up in a situation where they're a little bit more conservative than we'd expect when they're close in the red zone type area and a little bit more aggressive than, than teams tend to be, which we actually would recommend when you're sort of outside the 30 there. So they're, they're kind of walking a fine line between making the nerds and the jocks angry. I like that. That's where I like to live, Alex, making both <laughs> the nerds and the jocks angry frequently. For me in this game, it's the health question. It seems like everybody from Whitworth to Ramsey seems dinged up for the Rams. I know they've had the extra week and everybody seems like they're getting back to full health. But of course, you know, they won't have Robert Woods, who they've been without for, for quite some time. But it's still, it's hard to overstate his importance to both their run and pass games. On the other hand, the Rams, looks like Daryl Henderson will be back. And he could be an X factor for them going back to the outside zone that we talked about before. If he can play a little bit of a potential boost there for, for them in their running game. So looking at the health of, of both of these teams is, is something to keep an eye on. You said before that the Rams running game wasn't particularly impressive. It was the area where the Bengals seem to have the advantage. What can Henderson do to neutralize that if he plays? Henderson's been an outstanding outside zone runner going back to his college days and and in his pro career. He's a smaller back, so he provides a little bit of a change of pace in the way that he's going to be hitting things compared to, say, Cam Akers. So just a little bit of a different style that he brings and the sort of player that that has explosive ability We'll see. We'll see if he's, you know, at 100 percent or, you know, even in a place to play very many snaps to begin with. But something to keep an eye on. Is there anything that Sean McVay could do, whether it's with Henderson or otherwise, that he's done a little bit this season that we might see on Sunday? Like, what would that be? Yeah. So besides Henderson, who could be a wrinkle in his own right, I think the with the Rams, you're always worried that they're going to go no huddle. So at any point in the game, even mid drive, they can all of a sudden go no huddle if they see a personnel matchup they like or if they want to try to get a different spark going in their game. So you've got to be prepared for that, and you can bet that the Bengals will be spending a lot of time or have been spending a lot of time on that. The Rams, you can expect a lot of play action. You can expect rollouts. You can expect screen passes. But in a one-game sample, I could actually see them taking a page out of the Bengals' book and running some quick dropback stuff, which would be a big tendency breaker of their own, right? Cincinnati is first in short dropback rate. The Rams were last in short dropback rate this year. But with all the time to prepare and kind of, you know, cook up things that might make the other team uncomfortable, I could see the Rams taking a page out of the Bengals book might be something to keep an eye on. Would Cup be good in that? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's great all over the field. He's great after the catch. So you can throw him a bubble screen. You can throw him over the middle on a mesh. 
And then, of course, you can get him going on, on two-way goes out of the slot. So, you know, all that stuff he's very valuable for. All right. So one other thing I wanted to do was I want to focus on a couple of guys that aren't necessarily superstars, though their statistics indicate that maybe they should be discussed. Start with the uh, Bengals and their cornerback, Shadobi Awuzie. I mentioned him because specific to pass coverage, he has been a near equal to Jalen Ramsey when you look at our stats per play as opposed to totality. Ramsey's got more plays. Awuzie has fewer, but per play, they're near equal. What should we make of him and how can he impact this game? Yeah, he didn't make a ton of noise this year in terms of just general discourse, but he was solid. He was not exclusively an outside corner, played in the slot a bit. A lot of guys tend to do that. He did play much better out on the outside. In fact, all of the the corners on the Bengals were not particularly great playing in the slot. So that's something to keep in mind against a Rams team that, that runs a lot of interesting stuff with those tight splits. So Ouzier allowed just under a quarter of his targets to go for a positive EPA when he was lined up outside. He was getting beat a little bit, but he was able to catch up and limit the damage to put that sort of in in one way statistically. He had the sixth most intended air yards in the NFL this year on passes his direction, but he yielded the 59th most yards. So he was getting targeted quite a bit and quite a bit downfield, but did limit the damage a decent amount. One way he could impact the game in a negative way is exactly that situation, getting beat over the top, particularly when they're playing zone. They play a lot of it, and he was targeted more than any other player on throws 20 yards downfield in zone coverage in the regular season. And he's allowed 137 yards and a touchdown on five of those targets just in the playoffs alone. It's always interesting when you have a player with splits like that, because anybody who's done is, you know simple things like fantasy football or DFS will tell you, Look at targets. Don't look at don't look at the yardage totals. Look at look at the opportunities that they're going. So, you know, coaches are telling you something by the fact that he's got the sixth most intended air yards in his direction. But at the same time, the performance has been there to this point. So it'll be interesting to see kind of which one of those tendencies gives Benny in the Super Bowl. And again, it's only one game. He could certainly be great. He could certainly be a non-factor. Meanwhile, we talked plenty about Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and Von Miller. But what about Leonard Floyd? He ranks fifth among linebackers in points saved this season. Two years with the Bears, seven sacks. Two years with the Rams, 20 sacks. What could his impact be on Sunday? Floyd is a perfect example of the sort of interactive nature of pass rush. If you look at what we might call a cleanup sack, where one player hurries the quarterback and the other one ends up getting the sack, Floyd is second only to TJ Watt in the last two years with 10 of them. So having multiple threats up front, with the, which the Rams obviously do, makes a huge difference. We call that sloppy seconds, not cleanup sacks. We call it <laughs> sloppy seconds. Sorry, go on. Yeah, so another example of this is that he had four, or another example of sort of the interactive effect of, of having multiple threats uh, along the defensive front is he had four sacks this year when he went unblocked. So having pass rush threats both inside and outside, adding Bon Miller, obviously relevant, just makes it hard for the offense. And when you can hit you know, def- defensive the edge rushers from both sides, Donald up the middle, it really presents a problem for both the coaching staff and also the quarterback and the center trying to, to get those pr- protection calls out. Alex, you hit that all nail on the head. You quantify it so well, kind of what's gone on there. The other thing that I'll just add to all of that is that Leonard Floyd's a really good pass rusher. I mean, that's part of the reason too. And it isn't sloppy seconds. It's that he's really good. Yeah, it's not sloppy. It's yeah. not sloppy. It's just seconds, basically. And we should also point out David Edwards of the Rams. He ranks third among guards in total points. What's his role here? 
Yeah, so Edwards plays left guard, and along with Andrew Whitworth, for my money, has been part of the best left side of an offensive line in the NFL this year. Where Whitworth more excels in pass protection, Edwards has excelled in the run game. So during the regular season, he was charged with just four blown blocks on run plays, and he didn't have a holding penalty in either phase. We mentioned the outside zone that the Rams like to run before. It's not only when they're running outside zone to the left side where he excels, you know, kind of at the point of attack on the run play, but also on the backside making cutoff blocks when they run outside zone to the right side. Both these players do a great job with that as well. And, you know, the nature of a zone running play is that you're trying to kind of get the whole front to move. You're trying to get bodies moving backwards and you're trying to find spaces to run between. And you don't know where exactly the creases are going to come to until the play gets going and you get somebody either over pursued, you get a shoulder turned here, whatever it is, you press a hole the right way and, and you're able to, to cut it back. There are lots of different ways that, that outside zone can be successful, but a key aspect is having those guys hang on the backside. And that's another thing that it's not just when they're actually run behind, it's actually when they're also run away from that, that Whitworth and Edwards make a difference. We actually incorporate that to some extent in the total points calculation in the running game. So on, on plays where there are bounces or cutbacks, particularly on those cutback runs, we're establishing the expectation based on where the run was initially going, but also particularly on zone blocking plays, what's the expectation if the, the runner was to cut back and, and how much he cuts back. And we'll give the offensive linemen who are on the backside credit when you get that good cutback run. Yes, great, great call out, Mark, because you gave us an opportunity to use David Edwards to to kind of demonstrate one of the cool things that Total Points does in terms of quantifying the run game. To close the show, let's essentially make a list here of some of the different things, the highlights of what we've talked about thus far. Watch the safeties, one. Two, the Bengals' advantage is potentially in their run game disrupting how the Rams line up defensively. And if they do that, it allows other things to open up. Joe Burrow, not there yet. Elite, close, still jury, jury still out on him so far. What are the other things that we should be calling out that people should be aware of that we've talked about so far? I mean, have a fun, fun time watching some of the amazing players in this game. We talked about the Rams being a superstar team. Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup. Odell Beckham Jr., I would throw Andrew Whitworth in that category in terms of offensive players. Jalen Ramsey, and of course, Aaron Donald is is my probably my favorite player in the league. Just an absolute dominator, unlike anybody else. And we didn't even talk about the two defensive ends that they have, who we were mentioning before, that, that with Von Miller and Leonard Floyd causing all kinds of problems. So enjoy watching all those fun players. And same story with the Bengals. You talk about Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Zoma. Mixon, I mean Joe Burrow. I don't want to. I don't want to get it twisted here. Being a being a win with quarterback is a big deal. Being a Super Bowl a quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with is a big deal. I don't think I'll be winning many arguments if they do win with people that want to tell me he's not part of the reason. You know, a big reason why they won the Super Bowl. So we can see we can see the ascent. I just really would encourage people to sit back and enjoy it. I think that, you know, we talked about the, the advantages that the, the Bengals might have in the running game and that sort of thing. But certainly from an entertainment perspective, if they end up putting it up 60 times and, and, and letting Burrow sling it all over the yard, like that's going to be a, a great watch for everybody. We'll close the show with Corey's Corner. SIS gaming guru Corey March offers his thoughts on prop bets to consider for the big game. Thanks, Mark. Our first Super Bowl prop bet is Joe Mixon to lead the game in rushing yards at plus 110 odds. Mixon is tied with Cam Akers as the most likely candidate to be the rushing leader, according to the sports books. 
The Rams have a superior run defense, but we expect the gap in carries between Mixon and the other backs to be large enough for him to overcome this. Mixon has handled over 80% of the Bengals' team carries in each of the last two games. We project him for 78% of the carries in this one, which our model converts to 19 attempts for 74 yards. Meanwhile, the Rams are getting Darrell Henderson back, and while we don't expect him to see the field much, if at all, there's a threat that the Rams could be splitting their carries between three backs. Our projections expect Akers to be the Rams' rushing leader with 14 carries for 60 yards. The second prop bet is a longest reception matchup, and we like Van Jefferson to come out ahead of Tyler Boyd. Both sides are minus 115 on DraftKings Sportsbook. It's fair to expect Boyd to see more passes thrown his way. SIS has him slated for 15% of the Bengals' targets, compared to 10% for Jefferson. But these two receivers are used very differently, which is the reason why we're siding with Jefferson. Boyd has seen 13 targets in the playoffs so far, with an average depth of 4.6 yards, compared to Jefferson, who has an ADOT of 17.7 yards on his nine targets. Among the receivers in this game, Boyd has the lowest ADOT in the playoffs, and Jefferson has the highest. It should only take one reception for Jefferson to steal this one, considering none of Boyd's playoff receptions have come for longer than 10 yards. Our third and final prop recommendation is to take the over on the number of Rams to catch a pass. The number's at 6.5 on DraftKings, with the odds set at minus 110. There's Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., and Van Jefferson. That's three wide receivers we expect to catch a pass. Cam Akers and Sony Michelle have both caught a pass in each of the last two games. That brings us to five. If Tyler Higby plays, he'll catch a pass. If he doesn't, Kendall Blanton should fill in his shoes, and that's six. There'd need to be one more pass catcher, and there are a few options. Both Higby and Blanton could catch a pass. Ben Skoranek, Henderson had 29 receptions before getting injured, and he can't rule out somebody popping up out of the blue. Matthew Stafford? Could they try and sneak 40-year-old Andrew Whitworth a touchdown? Regardless of who it is, the odds are good enough to take it at minus 110. Thanks, Corey. Certainly, as you guys were talking about before, memories and careers can be made off of one game that will be played on Sunday. This wraps up this week's show. For Matt Minicharian and Alex Vigerman and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to the SIS Off the Charts Football Podcast. 